0: WWW WVW Broadcast Network and The New American are pleased to present
1: The New American TV. This broadcast is dedicated to bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American TV, where we bring you the truth behind the news. I'm your host, Paul Dragoon. Today, we're talking about depopulation. Julius Malema is a South African lunatic calling for the murder of people he hates. He advocates for genocide. He's honest about the bloodthirsty nature of his far-left revolutionary ideology. Here he is telling his supporters to go out and kill white farmers. You must
0: never be scared to kill. A revolution demands that at some point there must be killing because the
1: killing is part of a revolutionary act. Did you hear that? You must never be scared to kill. Revolutions demand it. Malema is the founder and head of the radical far-left and racist economic freedom fighters. He's been saying evil things like this for years. In 2022, the South African, a news outlet, carried the disturbing headline, Julius Malema refuses to rule out calling for slaughter of white people. Here he is encouraging his minions to do just that.
2: shoot
3: to kill! To kill the poor, the farmer, the poor, the farmer.
1: The left is a death cult, and they love genocide. This is shocking if you haven't heard it before, but it's true. Adolf Hitler ran the National Socialist Party, a far-left dictatorship, and he murdered millions. Stalin led the Communist Party, and he murdered more millions than Hitler. And Mao Tse Tung murdered as many as the previously named tyrants combined. In a recent interview in Argentina, leading presidential candidate Javier Millet, a fiery libertarian economist, Explain the extreme mindset of the leftist. You can't give them an inch, he said. All collectivists, all kind of collectivists, if you think differently from them, they will kill you. He said, you don't negotiate with trash because they will end you. And since we are so much better than them, we are defeating them in a cultural battle. We're not only superior economically, we're morally superior. And it triggers them. And since they can't beat our arguments and ideas peacefully, they use the repressive apparatus of the state to try to destroy us with taxpayer money and to influence public opinion and destroy us. Historically speaking, Millet is right. Bloodlust-addicted leftists have been killers throughout the modern era. According to R.J. Rummel, professor of political science at the University of Hawaii, as many as 262 million people were murdered by their governments during the 20th century. But mass murder as a means of depopulation is not necessarily a thing of the past. There are concerning trends which strongly imply that today's leftist demons are just as bloodthirsty as yesterday's. Let's look at Henry Kissinger. Kissinger is the revered architect of U.S. foreign policy as Secretary of State from 1973 to 1977. He was soft on the Soviet Union and he's soft on Communist China today. China's genocidal phase actually lasted well into the mid-1970s with the Cultural Revolution. But this didn't bother Kissinger. In 1974, during his tenure as Secretary of State, he oversaw the creation of the National Security Study Memorandum 200, which defined U.S. policy favoring population control. As Dennis Barrett, publisher of The New American, documents in his book Endgame, the report argued for a worldwide comprehensive strategy with both bilateral and multilateral elements aimed at reducing world population growth. The population control measures described in the National Security Study Memorandum 200 would result in 500 million fewer people in 2000 and about 3 billion fewer in 2050. There have been several proposals for achieving global population reduction. In 1968, The Population Council, founded by depopulation enthusiast John D. Rockefeller III, was led by behavioral scientist Bernard Berelson. In 1969, in his Studies and Family Planning paper, Berelson argued that one possible solution to the population problem was to add sterilization drugs into the water supply. Mass use of fertility control agent by government to regulate births at acceptable level the fertility control agent designed to lower fertility in the society by 5% to 75% less than the present birth rate as needed, substance now unknown but believed to be available for field testing after 5 to 15 years of research work, to be included in water supply in urban areas and by other methods elsewhere, addition of temporary sterilants to water supplies or staple food. Was this diabolical scheme ever implemented in real life? it's certainly worth considering there's been an incredible decline in male fertility since the early 1970s. The worldwide scale of this decline was documented in November 2022 in the journal Human Reproduction Update. The results are terrifying. Combining results from all men, sperm count declined steeply between 1973 and 2018. For all men combined, sperm count declined by 0.93% per year and overall by 41.5% between 1973 and 2018. The researchers who wrote the article concluded that their study provides strong evidence for the first time of a decline in sperm counts among men from South and Central America, Asia and Africa, as well as a worldwide decline in the 21st century, with data suggesting that the pace of this decline has accelerated. Correlation may not be causation, but we live in the age of dangerous and uncomfortable coincidences. Is it merely a coincidence that the U.S. government and its favored NGOs in the late 1960s and early 1970s had a strong interest in depopulation? And just since that time, male fertility has cratered. Is it also just a coincidence that one of our most powerful billionaires, Bill Gates, is a population control enthusiast and a purveyor of vaccines? whose NGOs were highly involved in the COVID terror operation. Is it merely a coincidence that SARS-CoV-2 appeared at a biolab in Wuhan, funded in part by a U.S. government long interested in bioweapons and population control? Is it merely a coincidence that untold numbers of elderly were killed in nursing homes by policies seemingly designed to increase COVID exposure in vulnerable groups? Was it merely a coincidence that Proven life-saving drugs were demonized and withheld, while deadly therapies and drugs were forced on the afflicted, which killed millions. Is it merely a coincidence that unprecedented numbers of young and healthy people are dying unexpectedly since Operation Warp Speed? Is it merely a coincidence that the Biden administration appears to be preparing for new lockdowns with an election looming? In 2020, the BBC published an article with the headline, Fertility Rate, jaw-dropping global crash in children being born. We'll leave you with that and ask, in light of all the above and more that we didn't include, are we facing just a weird and concerning mystery, or is this evidence of the greatest crime ever perpetrated on the human race? When we come back, my colleagues Dennis Barrett and Steve Bonta will be discussing their thoughts on these questions and more. This is one conversation you don't want to miss.
2: Sophia paused before the door. It read, Department of Bi-Digital Convergence. Just inside was a new world, a better world, the one of everlasting life, of no pain, of no loss, of no problem. She entered the chamber and her surroundings changed. She saw around her an infinite field of waving golden grain surmounted by cloudless blue sky. The AI voice whispered gently in her mind, Welcome to the singularity. She couldn't see it and couldn't feel it but her body had almost instantly been covered by a swarm of tiny gray multi-legged bots that melted through her clothes and into her skin. Not perceiving the nightmare, her eyes had already been consumed and the rest of her body was dissolving as the bots digested her flesh. She felt only a warmth suffusing her being. Drowsy, she drifted to sleep, and her last thought was one of panic. Would she ever wake? Could a nightmare vision like this be an outcome of the much-hyped transhumanist technological singularity? Enter the world of the future as illuminated by the experience of the past in Endgame, the new book by Dennis Barrett, the publisher of The New American Magazine, and find out how the disastrous COVID pandemic response fits with the technocratic elite's thirst to create a transhumanist utopia. Get Endgame from shopjbs.org with free shipping with code ENDSHIP, E-N-D-S-H-I-P. Or get Endgame and the Great Reset Collector's Issue of the New American Magazine, and get free shipping plus an additional twenty percent off both with code N twenty E N D two zero.
1: Welcome back. We're talking about depopulation, and joining me are two of the smartest people I know: Dennis Bear, the publisher of the New American, and the author of Endgame. COVID and the dark state quest for bio digital convergence in a transhumanist world. I can never pronounce that <laughs> right. <laughs> I wrote and, it just for you. <laughs> thank you Dennis. By the way, we've talked about this book. It's fantastic. And we also have Steve Banta. He's a senior executive uh, editor of The New American. Executive senior editor. Uh, I always but, get hey. that mixed up. It's okay. And an author of many articles and academic papers. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, uh, Dennis. Thanks, Paul. So before breaking, we've rattled off a long list of incidences that have resulted in less people in the world and even death. And um, we asked, is it coincidence or not?
4: What do you think, Dennis? Is there an elaborate plan for depopulation? Let me read to you another segment of the the Kissinger report on uh, fertility problems as the U.S. government perceived them in 1974. And under policy recommendations, this is uh, that heading from that report, it says, there is no single approach which will solve the population problem. The complex social and economic factors involved call for a comprehensive strategy with both bilateral and multilateral elements. So, explicitly, they didn't want there to be a smoking single smoking gun, as it were. They wanted to have a very, as they say, complex approach to solving this worldwide, what they consider to be a problem of too many people being born. And they explicitly said they want to lower fertility rates. So we can't really say there's a causal connection. What we have is another inconvenient alignment of policy decision-making processes now matching up with exactly what... called for actually happening in the real world now decades hence and in particular since this time this wasn't a phenomenon prior to this time but since this time the late 1960s we have had fertility rates worldwide drop by about half that's since 1968 uh, where you know almost almost five births per, per, per family at one point prior to 1968 now we're less than half of that during the same time that this Uh, this document kicked off the U.S. policy on population control. That doesn't seem like just a coincidence to me. Uh, And one of the factors that is really coming into play and that people are starting to become aware of is this male infertility crisis, worldwide male infertility crisis. Usually it's referenced in the news when you see reference to this as sperm counts being dramatically lowered and sperm uh, vitality being dramatically reduced. And there's starting to be research and thought process going into, well, what is causing this? And it may be... Uh, chemicals in the food supply and in the water supply in particular one of them uh, one of the second most common uh, uh, chemicals used to control weeds and things of that sort is atrazine Um, that is an endocrine disruptor which has fertility implications uh, not just Mm. for humans by the way uh, but also uh, pfas perfluoroalkyls and other related pfas chemicals it's starting to look like those have an impact on uh, fertility issues Mm. Uh, these things are pretty common in the you know exposure in the in the environment and we're we're starting to see these things really start to have an effect on actual family populations family family capabilities and then, then there's a whole range of other social factors that go into population control as well uh, but what the reality is, is that this is not just fantasy what they were talking about in, in the Kissinger Report back in the 19, early 1970s. It came as a result of decades of non-governmental organization uh, agitation, if you will, uh, to bring these policies to the forefront of U.S. government policymaking procedures, realized in the Kissinger Report, put into practice across U.N. NGOs mm-hmm. uh, and the U.N. itself with regard to our, our foreign policy on, on on these on these matters. And we're seeing, I think, the consequences of this policy making that took place then now realized in the real world that we face. And, and you even see, you know, Elon Musk, the world's number one billionaire, more or less, uh, now owner of X and SpaceX and the boring company and whatnot. He's been quite forthright stepping out and just recently, again, a photo of him holding a sign saying, you know, something to the effect that the population crisis is real. Uh, and it is. He's now, de- he's, he's oh, now apparently said, yeah. donated $10 million to a research uh, effort to start to try to understand a little bit better what's happening with this population problem that we're having. And it is a real significant problem. Um, from our point of view, it's a real significant problem. Now, from the elites, this may be the realization of what they've been hoping for.
1: What would they put in the water? You had mentioned uh, uh, atrazine. What is oh, At, oh, the I guess it's a pesticide or herbicide. It's an or, herbicide. Yeah, uh,
4: Atrazine, uh, it's an endocrine disruptor. And endoc- endocrine yeah, disrupting is- chemicals tend to have uh, debilitating effects on uh, mammalian biology, mm-hmm. specifically with regard to fertility. And uh, we're exposed to a lot of that now, atrazine being a common one in the water supply. Oh, um, I thought it
1: was just on the food.
4: Oh no, that's in the water supply. It's, it's probably the most uh, common contaminant in drinking water, uh, as a matter of fact, and, and that's pointed out by research, for instance, in the International Journal of Environmental Research Public Health uh, 2018. Atrazine contamination in drinking water and adverse birth outcomes in community water systems. They, they studied that in Ohio in 2006-2008. This continues down to the present day. There's been a lot of research on atrazine so you might find some people responding to atrazine as being well that's just crazy talk. But mm. in the literature where environmental scientists are actually looking at that, that's actually a concern. It, it's, it's legitimate, it's a real concern uh, and it's the most common uh, contamination in drinking water not just in the U.S. but elsewhere. Uh, but it's not the only one by any means. There are many other endocrine-disrupting chemicals that are used in packaging uh, yeah. industries, and uh, so you're exposed to them as a result of uh, using many prepackaged foods. They're they're in the water supply. They're used in many different contexts. They're extremely common. Uh, there's PFAS chemicals, which we're just starting to get to understand what impact those have on human and other biologies. Uh, that looks like a concern. So there's a wide range of these things, uh, which seem accidental, but are nonetheless in keeping with stated policy goals dating all the way back to 1974.
1: What do you make of this, Steve? Does this sound believable? No, oh, absolutely, very much so. What happened?
2: Sorry. You've lost the screen. You lost your you. background.
1: Yeah. I noticed that. There we go. All right,
2: oh.
1: sorry. I'm right. wondering what you guys are going to do about that. How long has it been gone?
0: Oh, uh, like a minute, yeah,
1: Several minutes, yeah. Dennis, so. OK. It, it oh, OK, good. Time, so all right, so yeah. I'll just go to Steve then. Did we catch Dennis's last comment? Yeah, we did. OK. All right. I think it, we're rolling, I can just go? Yep, feel
4: free to lead us
1: off. <clears throat> <clears throat> okay. What do you make of this, Steve? Does this sound believable? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not qualified to comment
0: on on the, the details of the science, the way Dennis Yeah, that does, was really
1: good, Dennis, thank you.
0: Yeah, well, and, and uh, I mean, I mean you know, I'd like to point out... I mean, out, it's tra- tragic, but... Harkening <laughs> <laughs> right. back to our open video, it's not an accident that the most extreme agenda-driving aspects of what we call leftism always identify with the color red red being the, the and blood. it's not yeah it's the color of blood it has nothing to do it's not because they have a peculiar affection for santa claus or christmas it's because they view their movement as being intrinsically you know violent and revolutionary and that means spread, uh, shedding lots and lots of blood i mean nesta webster pointed out a long time ago that she that there's evidence that the french revolutionaries were consciously carrying out a, a population reduction campaign, particularly in the south of France, the, the, the famous Noyades that were carried out by Carrier and other people, where they would literally perform mass executions of hundreds of people at a time. They'd tie them up, put them in these huge barges, and then sink them in the river. And uh, so, they, I mean, they, they, they killed, you know, probably a couple million Frenchmen overall during the wow. course of the revolution. Some of that was the product of you know, the, 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 the extreme political infighting in, during the, the Robespierre and the terror. But an awful lot of that was carried out in the early stage of the revolution where there was this clear you know, ideology of utopian ideology which always involves at root controlling the contours of society itself of which obviously population is one of those critical mm-hmm. contours. I mean so if you have absolute ascendancy over the number of people involved, you know, you have control. Later on, it was mean, much more egregious, particularly in, the, in, the, um, in uh, the Great Leap Forward in China and then the Cultural Revolution, that this was being done in a conscious way, that China viewed itself as being, as, as being overpopulated. Interestingly, the Communist Party of China today has just gotten rid of its infamous one-child yeah. policy and then the two-child policy, and they've now decided, because, because they're actively declining in population, and they're seeing that this poses, that they're in the, on, on the cusp of a demographic mm-hmm. crisis, so they're encouraging people now, Chinese people, to reproduce, but the Chinese don't want to do it. And I want to point out also, you know, overall, this whole uh, conceit about population getting out of control, I mean, it dates all the way back to Thomas Malthus, of course, and, uh, was given new theoretical life by Paul Ehrlich back in the 1970s with the population bomb. Th- this idea is is false on the face of it because it turns out that as populations grow, as, as populations are enabled to grow by higher standards of living and more efficient uh, food production and, and things like this, people tend to start limiting the size of families because in a, in a poor society having 10 or 12 children is maximally incentivized a by the fact that half of those children typically die in infancy so and and b there are no we don't have luxuries like social safety nets or retirement or anything like that and so your your retirement are your children they're the ones that are going to take care of you so all that goes away in effect with 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 modernization but we're still left with a fundamental problem which is you know the core pathology of leftism which um, you, you know, I think we mentioned it's a, mur- a murder cult. Leftism, you know, is all about hatred in various forms. And when we think of hatred, we think, oh, that's if I call Dennis a mean name and punch him in the face and then he punches me. Or, you know, we, we think of hatred in these very limited way. But it, 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 it's also fundamentally an act of hatred to say, you know, we need to reduce the population. Of course, I'm not going to volunteer to be one of the reducees. Yeah. But it would be really cool if over in Africa or in Asia or some other place where they, ha- where they look different from me and speak funny languages, that, you know, we really need to control po- population. I remember back in the 80s, and I'll shut up after this, but back in the 80s, um, a, um, AIDS was all the thing. Okay, um, And there was an article published, a cover story for a, a, a magazine called Audubon Magazine, which is one of the most prominent left environmentalist type, and sometimes has nice stuff about birds and this, but this particular article was about, came out circa 1985, and it caused a real hullabaloo, even among the people who read it, you know, including members of my family who were just appalled by it, and it said in effect, oh, AIDS is probably a good thing because it's going to depopulate parts of Africa that need to be depopulated. You know, all these wretched countries that are allegedly overcrowded and poor because there are too many people. Well, AIDS is going to take care of that problem. And we heard echoes of this more recently with the COVID pandemic. You know, Mm. people were saying things like this. Well, you know, these pandemics, as the population becomes less and less sustainable, we're going to have more pandemics. And that's a good thing because
1: that's Mother Nature striking back. I want to get to that. But first, we're going to take a break because that's definitely something we want to hit on. All right, folks, we'll be right back on the other side of this break.
3: Hi, I'm Alan Keyes. I'm the host of IMTV's uh, daily talk show about uh, news and events in America. And I want to say a good word for the New American Magazine. Uh, not only because Alex Newman has joined us as somebody who is periodically hosting a show, but because uh, New American Magazine represents an alternative media that is willing to tell people the truth. Uh, With so much fake news spreading spreading about, and the fact that right now this country is in an existential crisis, we remember who we are and where we come from and what our principles are, or we die. Reading New American magazine can keep you up to the minute on the issues that are challenging us as a people, and on which that survival hangs. You can check it out and subscribe at www.thenewamerican.com.
1: Welcome back, folks. And we're talking about depopulation. Uh, Now, Dennis and and Steve, we were talking um, about how the leftists have always been inclined to have no problems with killing people. We played footage there in the first uh, segment of uh, leftists advocating for that. But I was wondering while I'm listening to this, is this... Doesn't this go beyond like political lines? I mean, when you see something like that, when if there is, in fact, a plan, and I think we all agree that there is some at least somewhat of a plan to depopulate, I would think it goes beyond leftism. It's just it's it's pure evil or, or or are we saying that the ideologies of leftism apply here and that's what's driving this?
4: I think the ideologies of leftism absolutely apply but I don't think they're necessarily the only application of the evil that's that we're facing. Uh, to some degree it's utilitarian uh, if you will. Um, from the point of view of certain bureaucrats uh, who are looking at the development of technological trends and Mm -hmm. sociological and economic trends and what one of the things they're seeing is that we have this massively aging population at the same time as we have a radically declining birth rate which we've already talked about Mm -hmm. and for instance social welfare policies uh, particularly for retirement age people these things lead to an inescapable funding crisis and there are people who have been looking at that our own uh, social security administration began looking at that in 2004 2005 and writing papers right. saying you know we have this emerging crisis coming up where no, by two, 2040 2020. well 2020 is one of the one of the hallmark dates but 2040 it runs out it's gone because there are very there are much fewer people supporting many more people who are older, and there's many fewer younger people to support them, and we it doesn't work anymore. The math no longer the mm-hmm. math no longer works. Uh, so you start having questions about things that you see happening with regard to COVID, and I talk about this in Endgame. There are many yeah. examples in Endgame of elderly people seemingly being targeted not by accident and uh, the, the classic case of this is what happened in nursing homes in places like New York and Michigan and several other states where you know you have a population of people living in these these facilities who just naturally are more susceptible to respiratory ailments. They just are. Their, their immune systems at that elderly stage in their lives are no longer capable of warding off things like the flu or pneumonia or even the common cold. They, yeah. they get sick and this causes a decline in their health. We targeted those people in those states we by exposing them, them to COVID patients. Yeah. Not by accident. This was directed by the governors of the states. So this was a deliberate attempt, almost prima facie deliberate attempt, to expose these people to a, what for them was a deadly pathogen. Because we knew, everyone knew going in that COVID wasn't dangerous to people under, say, 70. Generally speaking, it was a largely non-event health-wise for most people. Yeah, But for the elderly, this is not true. And we... We sickened those people in these elderly care homes on purpose. We exposed them on purpose. Beyond that, what did our medical protocols call for? Right. They called for treatments for people who were suffering from this. And you and I and others, we know people who went through this. You know, They were brought in for these treatments, uh, particularly ventilation, which was incredibly deadly to people. So again, we chose... We chose policies that killed people.
1: And it's not out of ignorance. You're it was not it, out of ignorance. Yeah,
4: This is information. You know, public health response to a uh, respiratory disease has been well understood for decades. Um, we did the exact opposite of what all science leading up to this point and all medical practice leading up to this point called for. We did the opposite. Why would we choose to do the opposite? I think it was because we wanted to kill people. I mean, that's what it seems like. Uh, but then we have you know we have to talk about the vaccine which is not uh, necessarily a safe vaccine which i think everyone knows and has seen the data i've got some information right here steve kirsch uh, the entrepreneur the the venture capitalist uh, tech guy from silicon valley for many years has been doing uh, consistent work in trying to understand what the uh, impact of the vaccine has been on the american population and uh, august uh, 6th he came out with his latest estimate and I'll just read the headline from what he put out here for his estimate. He's using VAERS data, which is the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System data. He says the data is crystal clear. The COVID vaccines are killing an estimated one person per 1,000 doses. That's 676,000 dead Americans, according to Steve Kirsch just a couple weeks ago. Uh, now I haven't delved into his data to verify that, but I think he's he's pretty good at crunching numbers. He's been consistently working on this for two years or three years now. And you know I would say whether or not that's 100% accurate isn't necessarily the most important Thing. The most important thing is here's, here's, a, here's a guy with a statistical frame of mind from doing business statistics all his life and running, running successful businesses, launching successful businesses, working in the data field in big data and he's come up with uh, reasonable results that suggest there's a serious problem that many hundreds of thousands of Americans have been killed by this. Now if you expand that across the world, we're looking at really astonishing numbers of, of people who are,
1: are we seeing. I mean, there's been various data that's come out I, over the last one or two years, uh, including um, what is it, the funeral or insurance uh, insurance industry in, insurance industry. Of course, was it a forty percent drop or something like that in all cause mortality? Yep, there was a
4: significant uh, significant finding there. There's been findings in Germany that have been quietly uh, being now you know. You know seated out amongst uh, people looking at data mm-hmm. that have been showing that there's been some significant uh, mortality continuing post-vaccination yeah. that doesn't line up with expectation, that's that's really a blip, mm-hmm. statistically significant cha- change in, in mortality. Uh, that's also been uh, evinced in data coming from some Japanese uh, numbers and statistics that have been out there. So we're starting to see worldwide emergence of data that suggests, oh yeah, there is definitely a problem with what's happened post-launch of the vaccine.
1: I want to pivot slightly to you because this is something I've con- I've thought about, and I know that there may be others. There's obviously a lot of wacky stuff happening. Uh, one of them being this transgender trend. Now, maybe others are watching. Like, what does that have to do with this? But obviously, if we destroy these people like they are with these puberty blockers and chopping off their organs and things like that, is there any chance that could be part of this 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 whole goal to basically stop people from from uh, uh, producing and, and, and populating, the, uh, making more people?
4: You're not going to find too many people talking about that, I don't think. Uh, but, uh, and I don't have it in front of me, but if you go back to around 2010, there was a, a, a homosexual gentleman who wrote an article for the Huffington Post. Yeah. And um, you know it was uh, one of these things that the Huffington Post didn't commission it. They used to have a place where you could submit your articles and they would publish them. And, and his article, which was know, very well written, uh, I'll give him that. Uh, he basically said, yes, I'm a, I'm a gay man, and I've always had trouble justifying, you know, how does that give me a life-affirming purpose, I'm kind of paraphrasing what he, what mm-hmm. he wrote. Uh, and he said he was having a conversation with a priest, I assume a Catholic priest, but it may have been a different denomination as well, didn't specify, and the, the priest was talking about, well, you know, heterosexual couples, it's a life-affirming, they, you create new life, you have families, and it's you know it's very important, and he, he said this got me thinking. Well, what is my purpose? And he said and his response to the priest was, "Well, you know, I'm helping save the planet because you know, uh, and, and other gay people are helping save the planet because we're not having those children, and it's it's a natural counter uh, to uh, an overpopulation crisis. So at least this has occurred to a few people. Yeah. Um, well, it just naturally, make- it makes sense, right? I mean,
1: that's how know. I get. Do you ever think about that, Steve?
4: The la- oh, absolutely! I mean, I think it's all. It,
1: I, I, I
2: mean, a
0: le- leftism is nothing if not a coherent ideology. I mean, it does make sense—a a perverse, evil kind of sense. I and mean, by leftism, I hasten to add, we're talking about radical leftism. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but but you know, the the interest in the environment—you uh, know, elevating uh, species other than man above the value of humans and human life—is right. is something else that can be tied. To. The, the fascination. With uh, transgenderism and homosexuality and all this, and of course, the, you know, the, the
1: abortion, abortion, ab- has abortion, been a you know, population
0: control—it's it, it's all of a piece, and it, it, it ultimately, I, I think, it, it is a profound it re- is a reflection of a profound ideological hatred of humanity. This idea that human beings, far from being children of God, mm. and having great and infinite potential as such. Uh, that they're nothing more than a pestilence and a scourge on the face of the earth, uh, and uh, you know, as the comedian John, uh, George Carlin once put it, you know, that that we're soon, soon we're going to be wiped off the earth like the scum we are, and the earth will t- shake us off uh, like like a bad sickness, and mm-hmm. we'll go on. And so this is this is a an in, you know a perspective that's incomprehensible to someone who whose perspective is well, you know, we're, we're, we're the children of God, and as such, are worth. As, as, as Christ once said, is, is greater than that of sparrows um, or the lilies of the field. Yeah. Interesting environmental allusions there, but uh, maybe the Savior anticipated this sort of thing. But uh, you know, but, the, but this idea that, that, that humanity for all of its for all of the, the evils that we certainly do perpetrate on one another and on the earth and so forth and so on. I mean, we're, we're, we're a, a fallen species to be sure, but but, but that doesn't excuse this, this, this visceral bestial hatred that the radical left has always harbored, and which manifests itself in a thousand different you know ideological guises,
1: this idea that people are garbage yeah. and need to be disposed of. That's so crazy that they've gotten. I mean, I've heard that even from people I'm um, related to young, naive people, and they're like, "I'm not having kids, I'm not bringing them into this." And, and then they'll often tout rhetoric that. You, you could tell as a result of, of that kind of propaganda where apparently we're uh, animals and the environment and everything is elevated about human beings. And like like you said, uh, that's a result of I, I, I think that's a, that is a result of not understanding that we are the point. Right. God made us, and, and he put us here, and he said, take the minion of, of the Earth. But that doesn't mean destroy it, right? So there, I'm sure there, there's a balance there. What about population? You know, is there a point where there's too many? You know, Elon Musk is out there trying to build, I guess, space cities, and, and they're telling, and of course, China had its one-child policy, and China's got, what, 2 billion people? And, mm. and Well, Indi-
0: well part, of, part of the issue, again, when, when, when you talk about population, leftists, like Paul Ehrlich and, and others, you know, more, more, perhaps more modern familiar names, they, they, they always say, look at how overpopulated China and India and Nigeria, let's say, happen to be. Countries that just have large, raw populations. But they don't say, what they, what they conveniently don't say is that actually, you know, the critical factor is population density. And if you look at that, most of the most densely populated countries in the world, Singapore, Taiwan, the Netherlands are also among the world's most prosperous hmm. because it is people with their combined talents who beget prosperity and with prosperity comes a greater, how can I say this, ascendancy over the environment, less dependence on that sort of hard scrabble living, you know, of, uh, of you know, your, your family's going to starve unless you grow enough millet you know for the for the uh, that that kind of thing so I mean even in India now for example you don't hear as much about this because India's economy has been growing quite rapidly over the last 10 years or so yeah but and they it, don't have
1: any elbow room and, and in
0: fact and I as someone who's lived in India I can tell you I mean you the, the first impression you get is wow there's a lot of people here <laughs> yeah. and there are but, but that's partly a cultural thing because when the Indians go to a temple ceremony they, they believe that it's better to be pushed. In the, I mean, they don't have a concept of personal space the way we do. They push and they shove and they jostle and occasionally they'll have a, a stampede and people get crushed. And we, we look at that from outside and say, well, they're overpopulated. But in point of fact, the last famine that ensued in India was way back in 1940-ish, the, the Great Famine in Bengal, mm-hmm. which was primarily created by misbegotten policies by the, the British government in combination, of course, with the stressors of World War II. Yeah. Okay, India's not had a famine since then. And China, for all of its many issues, I mean, there are concerns that there may, there may be a famine looming large. So I don't know. But China, too, I mean, you know, again, having spent time in China, one thing they have is plenty to eat, even in the poor, the poor areas. You know, there's, there's a lot of food in China. That may change. When it does, it's almost invariably the case, the fault of government policy. Most people, you know, over the age of 50, (laughs) including some of the present company, remember the great Ethiopian famine of the, the 1980s and its successors. You haven't to, read
1: Dennis's <laughs> book, have you? He's yeah, like, well, the, slightly so, slightly the
0: Somali slightly. famine, And what do those two countries have in common? Well, they're sparsely populated. Yeah. There's no population, you know, but, uh, you know, yeah, they're, they're deserts, although, you know, Ethiopia's got a lot of mountains. It's actually one of the richer countries in, in Africa. But that was purely created by the policies
3: uh-huh. of Haile
0: Mengistu Mariam, this horrific dictator, a Marxist dictator, by the way. It was, it was a clearly
1: calculated genocidal policy, so... Dennis, can you, you know. elaborate on that? Because that is part, part of, or yeah, did he do well, a
4: pretty good job somewhere? He did a great job, but one of the really key things, and I think that you know, many times leftists either do this type of thing, well, they do it on purpose, but they often do it without any realization of what the consequences of their actions are because they really don't care what their consequences are. They have a, they have a goal in mind, and that's the only thing that matters, and the other consequences, well, whatever. So in, in Ethiopia, one of the things that they did was they wanted to forcibly move the population from one area of the country to another, they happened to want to move some of the population from really productive agricultural areas out, and they did it at harvest time, disrupting the harvest of food supply in that country. Well, what do you expect is going to happen? And, Even, then, you know, and then deliberately impounding all the relief right. shipments that were
0: sent in by <laughs> from abroad. <laughs> yeah. And didn't they
1: ask for a, uh, international aid then? Oh yeah,
4: yeah. There was a great push for it, and we had these, uh, you know, syrupy crazy songs being produced, you know, to drum up donations and it was, you know, having lived through it, quite painful to listen to. Yeah. Um. We are the world. We that's, are the children. Yeah, that, that's oh, not oh yeah. That, so that <laughs> Live was a, Aid! I remember yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, it was, you it do? was really You Are you terrible. old
1: enough to remember that, Paul? <laughs> yeah, I think it was, it was in the 80s. I was a kid. Worked, yep. I didn't know what that was didn't mean anything to me but. Yeah, and
4: the, the thing that would have actually aided Ethiopia would have not to have had a Marxist dictatorship destroying the country that would have actually aided the people there who were perfectly capable of producing as much food as was necessary in the country as farmers who were affected at that time said and, yeah and,
0: and and by the way just just for the, I mean most people don't know the name of Mengistu okay this guy was hardcore he was as hardcore as, you know, as Pol Pot, most people have heard of Pol Pot in the Khmer yeah. Rouge, okay, but Mengistu was a guy who would go out and slaughter little children and leave their corpses yeah. along the streets as an example of what people would, would, would you know, what was gonna happen if yeah. people crossed him. He was an absolutely merciless, I mean, calling him a thug is an insult to thugs worldwide, <laughs> frankly. And then this guy, Shad Barre, who is was the, the equally, you know, hor- horrific dictator in the neighboring state of Somalia, for similar reasons, created a similar famine and Civil War in the 1990s, so, yeah. you know, and, and, and so the, the common denominator most of the time, particularly in the modern age, whenever you, you see these types of famines, you, look, you scratch the surface a little bit, you see, oh, there's a Marxist dictator there or, or somebody akin to that.
4: You know, there's a really important mindset Steve touched on earlier, and I, I want to go back to uh, this, uh, this author who published in the Huffington Post 10 years ago. I now have, the, uh, t- uh, have it in front of me. Uh the title is homosexuality as population control it's a question why gays and lesbians are essential to the balance of nature. <laughs> <Thanks> <laughs> to you. Oh, I thought you were
0: <laughs> I was uh, just trying to see if you I am we attention. The f- oh. I got my
4: mark. Oh. Okay. okay. So anyway, oh, something he said, this something this author said, the author's name is G Roger Denson. Something he wrote I think really gets to one of the points Steve was making and that's this. He said um, we, meaning homosexuals, provide nature's restraint on procreative e- extravagance. We keep human production from becoming overproduction, mm-hmm. pollution, a joke, destruction, unbridled. I didn't say a joke. I said a co- an obscene cosmic joke. Mm. That is a view, really dark view of 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 humankind. That's a really dark view of people. Yeah. And if you really, if you dehumanize people to that extent, uh, then you know take out the trash. It's it's easier when you've dehumanized a population to say, well, it's just garbage, we need to get rid of them, and the next step to mass murder is not as hard to take. The, 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 uh, the other side of the coin, the Christian side of the coin per se, the, for, se you know, for instance, the Judeo-Christian side of the coin is people are created in the image of God and have intrinsic and important value. Uh, they are to be cherished. So we should have more of them because it's a miracle. Every life is a great miracle.
1: I want to get back to that though, because I, want, I think I've already asked, but I want, to, I want to really corner you on that. Is there a point where there's too many people? We're going to take a break first and we'll be right
4: back. Life,
1: liberty, and the pursuit of happiness Declaration of Independence proclaims God-given rights and we intend to protect them. Working with people like you for over 50 years, preserving freedom and building a better tomorrow, safeguarding the Constitution by limiting government power, we are restoring liberties, educating voters and leading the freedom movement. Join with us. United, we will
3: defend our rights we are all Americans. We are the John Birch Society.
1: Welcome back, folks. We've been talking about depopulation, and we had a great discussion. Um, like I said before the break, I don't know that I was ever I I, I was uh, satisfied with the with any answer as far as that. Isn't there a point where there is too many people? I, before you answer that, hold up. <laughs> I traveled across the country uh, recently, and I went into one of the, uh, the emptiest states, but one of the most wonderful states, and you look around, and you're like, man, I don't know how they're saying we're going to run out of room because there's just so much room. But surely, at some point,
4: at this trajectory, there's going to be too many people, no? No. Simple answer. <laughs> no, there's not going to be too many people, and the reason why is this. Uh, we have an entire universe out here, not to mention just what's here on Earth, which is a gigantic planet. And when we have more people, uh, Steve alluded to this as well, more people we'll figure with their great huh? capacity, we think of new innovations. Now, we have just lived through and are at the cusp of the greatest expansion of technology that's ever been witnessed, uh, to my knowledge, anywhere in, in, in the galaxy. Because, are we going well,
1: to Star Wars here? Is this where this is going? we <laughs> go to
4: Star Wars, but yeah. let's, just, let's just point out, uh, 120 years ago, people traveled by horse and, horse and carriage and that's mm-hmm. sailing ships and uh, now we're traveling on jet liners and we have the internet and we have technologies which couldn't even be dreamt of 10 years ago. Um, the more people participating in the free exchange of goods, services and knowledge the more we have advancements in technologies. Uh, we now have a company, I've referenced Elon Musk before, but we liter- literally have a company, in a, private, a private company, focused solely on moving a population to another planet. You know, that sound that would have sounded completely science fiction in 1974. Like yeah. not even conceivable. But we have a company heavily capitalized, doing a tremendous business, uh, the most advanced space exploration effort ever concocted on this planet, mm-hmm. actively looking to build technologies to move to another planet. Sounds science fiction, but it's true today. And there are people looking at the possibility of mining asteroids yes. and things like that.
0: Yeah, I just want to add to that, and this, this is an argument that I, I just never hear people making, but you know uh, some, some decades ago an economist of some note named Leonard Reed, who was also a magnificent writer, he wrote this little essay called uh, I Pencil, and in the essence was to say, was to show how the free market works by bringing together um, consensually chains of talents to produce things that no one individual, no matter how ingenious, would be able to do. And he said, you know, it something simple like a, a pencil. It's really not as deceptively simple as you think, because when you start thinking about okay, how, how do we get the wood? How do we shape the wood in that precise way for the shaft of the pencil? How do they where, get the graphite in Where do you, where do you get, where do you get the, the, the graphite and the clay mixture that goes into the pencil? How about the paint? How about the metal and the little thing that holds the Rubber and the eraser, and all these different components to, to uh, one of the more simple but indispensable items in our culture. And he says, you know, when, when you start thinking about all the, 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 the chains of production that go to graphite mines in, in, you know, in Madagascar or whatever, uh, you, you know, in different parts of the world and all of the expertise. How did we learn to refine steel to the point that we can create that little ring thingy that holds the eraser mm-hmm. in place, much less the corrugations on the surface that makes it easier to grasp. All these other subtle details. Um, paints are extremely complex. Dennis mm-hmm. has some background in chemistry and he can, he can attest to, to this, but Absolutely. no one person can conceive you know, if, if I took the smartest guy in the world and stuck him out in the middle of nowhere, even in a place that had all the, the, the natural resources, all the minerals and so forth necessary, wouldn't be able to recreate a pencil. Okay, so. so it means that you have to have a certain population and a certain degree of international cooperation, you know, free market trade, to make something like a pencil happen. How much more is that the case to create this, okay? or something even more complex than a laptop, a, a modern commercial jet plane, or mm-hmm. a Cray supercomputer, or a large power plant, or something like this. And when you start doing this same sort of Leonard Reed-esque mine, you know, mine, thought experiment, you say, okay, well, how many mines went into creating this laptop and the hundreds of thousands, others like it that have rolled off the assembly line wherever this thing was manufactured, right? Yeah. And you start going into, the theorists who figured out how to, you know how to make silicon chips work in the first place, you know, and all the different components and all the different substances, the material science that went into, you're looking at a production chain of probably millions of people, most of whom don't know one another, many of whom don't speak one another's language or live in the same continent or even in the same time. Right. Okay, all of whom were necessary to create this end product. Okay, so this means that. This would have literally been impossible to produce in, say, 1500. Even if you could go back there and give the people in 1500 all the blueprints and Mm. all the plans and details, they still wouldn't be able to do it because there weren't enough people in the world to do it. Okay. Now, when and and this is the main problem that 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 that, you know when when you talk about things like you know starships taking people to other solar systems and and, you know they may be possible someday, but you know. Projecting the lines, I doubt there are enough people on the Earth today to create the the, the, the chains of more production. People, huh? we need more people, probably. Yeah, I mean, and it's no accident that as the population has grown, so too has technology, because it has allowed for more and more and more extended and complex chains of production. And it also has allowed, you know, if if the 1600s could produce, you know, one Isaac Newton, one Christopher, Rand, you know, a, you know, a, a handful of these luminaries, how much more so can a world today? Uh, produce correspondingly more uh, brilliant minds that are off the bell curve, people who are going to be innovators on the level of an Isaac Newton or whatever. I mean, Elon Musk is Damn. perhaps one example of that. So, my point being is that if you like an improved standard of living, which would include, for people like Dennis and me, uh, greater access to truth, to books, to knowledge, to understanding the universe that we live in, all this type of stuff then you're a fan, ipso facto, of more and more population because that means more and more and more talent and correspondingly greater ability to, mm. as Dennis was saying, for example, to find solutions to problems that inevitably, you know, growing population yeah. does pose, typically, per- particularly in some regions, you know, that, that don't have the sorts of resources that we have in, in, in the new world, you know, but, it, but, but more human minds applied to the problem means yeah. that they'll, they'll
1: not only solve the problem, but they'll prosper
4: this has been recognized in private industry by the way
1: well you recognize it with Malthus because he was saying the same thing he's making this prediction he's saying we can't feed anyone right and the opposite happened
4: the right the opposite happened mm-hmm. well let's go back to private industry and let's do it you know re- reduce this from the worldwide scale down to uh, a company that wants to create an innovative product and this is what really happened in our private industry research labs 50, 100 years ago, so things like Bell Labs, for instance, or some of the others that were out there, um, National Cash Register at one time. The question was, how do we invent this complex thing that no one has thought of yet to serve a need that our customers have? Mm-hmm. And what uh, what we now call knowledge management professionals at those companies, but back in those days, uh, you know, scientists and principal researchers, came up with the idea in terms of how we do this is we get more qualified, inventive, creative people under one roof where they can collaborate. Mm -hmm. And so we had research institutions funded completely privately again like Bell Labs, National Cash Register, many many others who brought individuals together to do fundamental material science, fundamental science and other areas of chemistry, interfaces, all kinds of things, and put them together. And they were not even necessarily related in terms of their direct uh, you know, backgrounds and, and, and specialties, but by putting all this diverse number of people together, you started getting this incredible explosion of technological applications, many of which didn't even pertain to that particular company, but then got sold off as intellectual property to others and further developed. And that has brought us all the fantastic technologies that we've grown up with that we've seen over the last century and a half. That's just on the small scale. So the principle is putting more creative people together to create solutions. Now blow that up worldwide and that gets back to what Steve's talking about. More people leads to more creativity, more innovation, more prosperity. It's been proven indubitably over many decades, it, it's, it's, a, it's a fact. And it runs completely counter to the leftist mindset. We're gonna run out of space. We don't have enough resources. We have to get rid of all these people because we can't feed them. It's baloney, it's you, the opposite is true.
1: Do you think they actually believe that? Or is there any chance that maybe they want this planet for themselves? I know all this stuff sounds wacky, but like you said, it's like there's so much going on that seems to be uh, supporting this idea that there is an intentional deliberate plan to reduce the population. Is, is there a chance that there's a, I don't know, a group, a network, or like you said, just leftists in general, they're like,
4: well, we just want the planet for ourselves. Some people are psychologically unstable in the sense that they they want power. It's yeah. a narcotic for them. Yeah, I mean. And, you know, those are the people who some studies in psychology have shown tend to gravitate toward uh, areas of management and government in particular yeah. because they enjoy the exercise of power. Mm. Um, it's an unfortunate fact that that we've lived with as a species that would make him sociopaths time. though right <laughs> yes and psychopaths yeah. yeah yeah right that's that's there's literature on that there's been studies that have been done every so often it crops up in the mainstream media I'm sure our viewers will be familiar with at least hearing about these these things from time to time. But some people just find the exercise of political power over others a narcotic, and they want more of it.
1: Yeah, I, I don't understand that. You know, I have a couple people reporting to me, and I wish I didn't. <laughs> you know, but Steve, have you noticed anything living in some of these totalitarian states in the, in the difference between... Uh, the leaders in totalitarian states who find nothing wrong with being pretty obvious that they wish to exercise control over everyone and perhaps people here. Uh, is America the only place where there are actual politicians who are saying, let people do what they want?
0: It was not the only place, but you know, certainly it, you know it, it's it's quite a shock, you know, to spend time significant amount of time in a place like in a place like China. There's a reason that the Chinese are able to build things like railroads and and freeways at such an Incredible rate compared to us. And that is that the government simply goes and says, okay, we're building a, a railway through here. You know, 10 million people got to move. Sorry. You know, and yeah. they'll just clear them right out of the way. People, yeah, huh? and, and this kind of thing. And I saw this happen a lot. Um, there, there were some, some, some small villages, you know, mostly with rice paddies and, and this kind of thing, fish farms near the area where I, where I lived in, in, in China and uh, they were quite pleasant to go walk in, and you'd see, like, I like to watch birds myself, and you'd see, you'd see various types of birds and so forth and in the space of about a year and a half, that stuff was all leveled, the, buildings were, the, the villages were all destroyed, all the poor people who lived there were driven away to go scratch because the local you know, Communist Party cadres decided it was time to, to line their own pockets yeah. and, and, and put up some you know, modern office buildings, most of which then go unoccupied and so forth and so on. So yeah, you do see this. It's a, it's a tremendous callousness uh, towards human beings. And I have to say, you know, in our society, it can be maddening Progress is often stifled by, you know, not in my backyard type lawsuits and everything. You know, these types of things, you know, we aren't as efficient in some ways in terms of these, you know, these public works projects. Mm -hmm. They do get stifled. But on the whole, our system with all its
1: imperfections does a much better job of respecting human dignity. Right. Well, thank you, gentlemen. So it sounds like, for the record, we all believe there is a depopulation agenda. It is. It has been implemented and it is being worked now. Any advice in 19 seconds as far as what people can do? Acknowledge this and tell others about it, I suppose?
4: Absolutely. You know, knowledge is what uh, is necessary to counteract some of these things that take place and uh, actually being brave enough to recognize the knowledge. One of the things that we'd like to do is turn away from the things that we find tremendously ugly and uh, what's uglier than some of these tr- tremendous crimes that have been committed against whole populations in the past. Uh, if we don't want to see those in the future, we need to acknowledge that the possibility of them exists and confront that openly. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Steve. Well, folks, thank you for tuning in to another episode of The New American TV.
1: Remember to visit thenewamerican.com for more truth behind the news. And if you really enjoy the show, tell others about it. Big Tech heavily censors us for telling the truth and we could use your help.